All right, everybody, welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast. This is your host, Tommy Tahoe Alemo. This is where young salespeople come to learn about the craft of sales, uh, up their skill set, sell more deals, become more fulfilled, make more money, find the next job, whatever it is that you're trying to do. You can find it here. We are all on the path together, uh, and I'm happy to help. So uh, this is a really great episode. One, we've got the last day of the quarter for many of us, so I'm saying a little end of quarter prayer for you all. Um, we've got episode 239 here, and an absolutely fire guest that I've been wanting to have on for a long time, uh, no other than Devin Reed from Gong. Uh, before we get to Devin, before we get to all this great content, Let's first give a quick shout out to our sponsors. Uh, first up is Gong. So Gong is the number one revenue intelligence platform uh, in the market. Uh, hands down, it is the best invention for salespeople since uh, the notebook and, and a pen was created, whenever that was. Um, it has transformed my game. I, I love it so much that I have gone to work there. Um, it's been amazing. Uh, it's irresponsible for a VP of sales or CRO to run an organization without Gong. Um, if you want to learn more, you can go to gong.io. You could DM me on LinkedIn, Tom Malamo. I'll point you in the direction of someone uh, that happened just today. Uh, I had a business development leader hit me up, heard on the podcast, and uh, wanted to chat with someone, so I did that. So let me know. Check it out, gong.io. I also want to give a shout out to Postal.io. So in a world where everyone is, uh, you know, just kind of mass blasting gifts and things to partners, Postal helps you send those customized gifts to a customer, a partner, a prospect. Uh, it could be from the florist on the street corner, the brewery across town. They've got really cool things you could send to uh, your customers. And we're doing something cool. Uh, just today's the last day. So June, uh, it's throughout the end of June here. Anyone that goes to Apple and Apple Podcasts and leaves a five-star review for the show, you just send that to me on LinkedIn. That should take you about 52 seconds. You get a free Starbucks gift card with that. So get your Americano, get your ice cream tea, get a little cake pop if you're hungry, whatever it is that you want, uh, you can get it there and uh, it should only take you about a minute. So would really appreciate the support. Uh, definitely show some love to Gong and Postal. Uh, to find more about me, uh, there's a lot of places to find me. LinkedIn is probably the best spot. Tom Malemo. I'm Tommy Tahoe on Twitter and Instagram. Um, MillennialMomentum.net hosts all of this content. And then I'm on Apple, Spotify, YouTube for this show. So uh, hit me up. I love interacting with people that are listening to the show and uh, always trying to make it better for you all. So let's pivot to today's conversation. I've got the Devin Reed here. Um, Devin is the head of content strategy at Gong. He is hands down one of the top voices in B2B sales today. Uh, so formerly, Devin was uh, the second sales hire at Gong uh, and was in that role for a few years before transitioned into content strategy and marketing. Prior to that, uh, he spent a total of six years in sales uh, at companies like Eventbrite, OneMob, On24, and ClearSlide. Uh, we go all over the map in this conversation. We talk about Devin as an AE, the early days of sales. We talk about uh, the first few days at Gong and what that was all about, uh, his transition into marketing and how he's built one of the best brands on LinkedIn by being himself and being truly authentic and so much more. So uh, without further ado, let's just get straight into my conversation with Devin Reed. Let's go. All right, Devin Reed, welcome to Millennial Sales. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. It's my favorite day of the work week, Wednesday. I'm in a good mood. Why is that? Because uh, we have no meeting Wednesday on our team, which means of all the internal, external meetings we got on Wednesday, we have the chief's approval to not have any meetings if we don't want to. So I get like... Exponential is definitely exaggerating, but it feels like exponentially more productive on Wednesdays. And it's I love that. five o'clock-ish, and I'm feeling like, like I got a lot done. My to-do list, I owned it. That's awesome. I've been trying to do that on Fridays as uh, a John Barrows uh, Friday, my day, to 
Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I still end up with eight meetings on the calendar, five of them internal. But when you don't, man, it's a good feeling day when you can just bang through things. It does. My uh, my buddy Harmon's an enterprise rep. He's big on PG, pipeline gen. And so every Monday for like the last five years of his career, he does not take any meetings for his deals. He has his pipeline review with his team and then he just spends the entire day clean up, catch up, uh, well, I wouldn't say catch up. The guy's never behind, but just, uh, you know, doing pipeline gen, it, it seems to work for him. That's and he does that on Mondays on Mondays. Yeah. Just kind of like eat the frog type of thing. Cause a lot of I people so. yeah. might like, like push prospecting and pipe gen and that type of stuff. He just tackles it all at once. We came from the same place at clear slide back in the day. It's actually how we met when we were younger. Uh, not that I'm old yet, but, uh, you, know, you can't be old on the millennial podcast. Can I, I'm still a millennial. I'm on the, I'm on the older end of the millennials for sure. Uh, but we came in the camp of like every AE self sources, like you, you know what I mean? You go get your own deals. Um, yeah. and he's just kept that with him, which is impressive as like an enterprise rep selling million dollar deals, multi-million dollar deals to like say like, no, I'm still going to go pipeline gen. We got to have him on the show. Where's he working? He is a data robot right now. I'll hook you up. Okay. He's a good guy. Okay. Okay. Boston company. It's my roots. I think so. Yeah. Um, so you started uh, in CS, customer su support, customer service, like coming straight out of school. Is that right? Or is that just like a weird title? It's right and a weird title. Uh, I yeah. don't even remember the title. I think it was like CS specialist. If you're looking at LinkedIn, that's probably the only place it lives because I don't remember <laughs> But yeah, I got a job right out of college at ClearSlide as this like entry-level CS role. So think of it, not support, but like, here's what my, the one project I remember, because I was on the team for a whole three, three months or something, was I got uh, the Twitter account. So Twitter was a client. And my job was essentially cold calling everyone on the user list. Like, hey, you have a ClearSlide license, you just don't know it and trying to get these people to take a 15 minute training so I could walk them through the platform. So it was like this weird thing of like cold calling clients, but also <laughs> training them on the product. So it could change really quickly. And sometimes people were like, yeah, we'll set up time so I could prepare. And sometimes people were like, I have nine minutes and I'm not gonna give you more or later. So just like, <laughs> tell me what you need me to know. And so that's what I did. That's how you, uh, that, that's how you got your roots. What drew you to that type of a job? I know you were, you're a basketball player. Did you play in college or just high school or? I did play in high school. I did play in college at the, like, just, just like, uh, wherever, like the, the totem pole is, if like the top of the totem pole is like Syracuse, North Carolina on TV. Uh, I was on the bottom of that totem pole, like just, <laughs> just like has a Jersey at some small school. Uh, and another school was a, a junior college. So by no means do I like go around saying I'm a basketball player, like ex collegiate player. But if I'm asked, I did play a little college ball. <laughs> but but have you seen Last Chance U? I got, so I got the, the COVID vaccine last weekend, the second one. Knocked yep. me on my ass for 24 hours. I spent 10 of those hours in bed watching Last Chance U basketball. And it was game-changing and very, very accurate. That's exactly what it's like to play at junior college level. Man, I actually got COVID like two months ago and did the same thing. I was down for like two or three days and uh Damn. my fiance and i watched the whole thing and so we're like good. we're gonna fly down to la we're gonna meet coach mosley and right. we need to get involved with the program <laughs> i i became a better coach for my team having seen mosley because i'm like yeah man I know, I know these things i know how to motivate people so it was good it was very inspiring and um it was cool the main point guard ended up going to sacramento state he got a full ride uh, and that's where i went to school so that was pretty cool deshaun deshaun yeah He's my favorite player. What, what do you, you coach like a kid's team or a high school team or? No, I just coach marketers. I coach my team. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I have coached youth basketball, not oh, lately because okay. COVID okay. and like that was okay. back in Sacramento, but no, I consider myself a coach like always. Uh, even if I would, you know, when I was a rep, I just, I loved coaching other people and uh, the, there's so many, I know it's not what we're like really here to talk about, but there's so many ways to motivate people and to teach people. And Collegiate, all, all professional coaches, but collegiate uh, coaches specifically, like they're skilled, right? Because they have their way of coaching, but then they also know how to splinter off and coach individual personalities differently. And that's mm -hmm. something that I really admire. 
Yeah, totally. Um, so early days of, of sales, you were selling to sales and salespeople and marketers? Selling to salespeople. I have been a salesperson selling sales software to salespeople for most of my career. Yeah. What, what was that like to cut your teeth doing that? I was, so, so let's like really quick, Devin goes to school to be an English teacher, by the way. Oh. So like I was an English major with a teaching curriculum, like uh, understudy type thing. And long story short, going to grad, you know, grad school and getting teaching credential was like super expensive. And then the pay is low. So I'm like, okay, I don't really like, I'm big on financial freedom. So I was like, I don't see that happening with this route, even though it's my passion. So friend of a friend gets me into clear slide. I'm like, I kind of lied to myself where I'm like, yeah, I'm still teaching people. I'm just teaching business professionals. How do you use software? Like that's how I rationalize it to myself that I didn't sell out, which I did. Uh, <laughs> and then, so I was on this team for three months and then the way this, like, you know, the farm system in sales, like, you know, you become an inbound BDR, then an outbound BDR, then you become an AE yeah. and so on. So their model was they didn't have BDRs. It was all self-sourcing on the AE side, but this entry-level CS role was their like, you know, AAA. That's where you like cut your teeth and then you went to an yeah. AE role. So I was on the team for three months. The head of sales comes down to a pod and there's about 30 of us. Uh, it was a pretty big team. And they're like, hey, we're doing basically open tryouts, not to run with basketball terminology for too long here, but it was a pitch off. If you want, go talk to the EA. She's going to get you signed up. Uh, you're going to pitch against, uh, you know, or pitch to a sales manager and a sales director. And you get like 30 minutes. And if you pass, you pass. So everyone's super excited because a lot of the guys on the team uh, were wanted to get into sales. Like they took this role to get this opportunity. I took this role to be financially free and like make a living. I was not into sales. I didn't really, there's a lot of, you know, the stigma around sales. I believed that at the time. And um, so the next, you had 48 hours, like the next two days later, you had until 12 PM to go to this EA's office and like tell her you want to put a name in that. I like battled with it. I called my uncle, he's in business and just like torn. Like, I don't know, is this for me? Should I do it? My uncle was like, you're very rarely going to get these type of opportunities that just like springboard your career like like realistically should you get this opportunity no very un, like very underqualified for this opportunity do so you like go for it worst case scenario you hate it and you go back like damn why, why are you so smart all right so i'm not lying 11 59 a.m the next day i walked into her office and like put my name down so going to the pitch off and I was terrible, man. Like, I don't know sales. Like I didn't know any of the stuff I know now. I hadn't read the challenger sale. Like I knew nothing. I knew nothing. So I go into this thing and there was one line that got me the job. So, you know, you go through your product pitch, they listen to you, they ask some questions, they're nice. And then they turn on the heat at like the last five minutes and they pressure tested everyone and just like beat them up with objections. Um, and I believe the objection was like, Hey, why would I pay for this feature with you when I already get it for free? with my current provider. I had no idea what our pricing model even like worked out to. It's like, I had no idea. And I was like, Matt, you know, between me and you, I'm going to give you this for free 99. That's how much it's going to charge you if you move forward with us. And I like, didn't know if that was even like, a, could I ever do that? I have no idea. There was this pause on the line. And then they just started cracking up laughing because they knew they like knew like this guy does not know what the hell he's doing, but he's trying really hard. Uh, and they gave me the job. They were like, we'll work with this guy. He's, he's got a little bit of, uh, you know, oh, not, not street cred with where I'm looking for. He's like, I'm, I'm quick on my feet. And yeah. so they took a shot on me and I ended up being in corporate sales for about a year, year and a half. And obviously something about it you liked, right? Because you, you, you're a rep at multiple different companies sticking down, like the selling to sales leaders route. And now you're writing two and four sales leaders and creating content for them. So like, what about sales ultimately, once you got into the path, like really kind of hooked you in? The sales role itself was the first commission check with a comma in it. That was like, I remember getting that check. Like, this is dope. Like well, I closed a couple of deals and they're going to pay me this. Like, and at the time, like now is a lot of money. No, but when you're 25, just got your own apartment yeah. eating, you know, top ramen, I was like, Oh, this is for yeah. me. So I rode the like coin operated train for a while. Um, and then of course, as you learn and you get better, right, you get other intrinsic motivation and like you enjoy the problem solving because you know, you understand what you're actually doing and who you're talking to. 
Um, in terms of staying with sales, I ended up bouncing around. I sold to, to marketers once. I sold to sales again. I sold to, uh, at Eventbrite, you kind of sold to a lot of different people, like marketing teams, operation teams, business owners. And these salespeople are the best, like straight up. They're just the best. Yeah. They're the coolest to work with. Uh, I'm probably just being biased because like they're a lot like me in the way that I operate, you know, extroverted, but not arrogant, motivated, ambitious. Uh, people are conversationalists. Um, and after you bounce around, you kind of sell to different personas. You, you really start to understand, like, I like to sell to sophisticated B2B buyers who are in sales. And when you're selling to salespeople, this unique thing happens, which only happens when you sell to salespeople, which is they know the game. They know yeah. when you're asking for the business. They know when you're running really good discovery. They know when you slip up and you're bullshitting them. So I really enjoy that because I noticed like, Hey, if I can win someone over on that first call, like if someone was like, give me like a compliment, like, Hey, like, you know, well done. Or they, you know, they kind of give you that squinting nod, like, all right, man, like, all right, kid, you, you, you know what you're doing. Deals got a lot easier. They would, you know, open up doors for me. They would text me. They would keep me in the loop and deals were easier uh, than when you're notice noticeably outside of that kind of, uh, you know, circle of trust, so to speak. And you don't really get that with marketing or operations or other. And I never sold to technical buyers. I will never sell to technical buyers. I've just heard <laughs> nightmares. No one ever has been like really love selling to CIOs. It's, it's a blast. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, hey, I found my niche. I don't need to be great at everything. I need to be really good at one or two things and build a career on that. Yeah. And you, you understand inherently what their problems are, right? Like the problem that you're selling to is your boss's problem, right? Or, or even problems that, that you face as a rep. Exactly. So it's easier to have those conversations. Did you, while you were on the come up, like once you honed your craft, I'm sure this wasn't happening that much or maybe ever, like once you got to Gong or Eventbrite, but in the early days, did you have anyone that just like reamed you out? Because sales leaders, they respect you when you're good, but when you're not, like they could be, they could give you the business sometimes. I've, I've been on the, uh, the, the, the bad side of the business, if you know what I mean? Like I've been yelled at, I have a few stories. Do you want a couple of quick stories? Let's hear it. Yeah. Okay. So one was, uh, I won't say who, but it was at clear slide. And if you were struggling, he, I, I don't even, I don't remember if it was on the schedule. I feel like he just rounded us up at like four 30. Cause it was like pod days and it was just like hammering calls. It was a, it was a sweatshop and the VP of sales, like came, I can't remember if you, I can't remember if there's a list. I don't remember how he got us in the room. I just remember like him coming into the room, like the pod area and he got everyone in the room and it was everyone who was like below 70% for the month. Like you weren't looking great. And he got all of us in the room and pretty much just yelled at us and called us terrible. And like, all right, you, you, like he, he held up his phone and it was just this packed schedule. And he's like, what are you going to do to get on this schedule? What are you going to say to me on the phone? If you're going to cold call me, what are you going to say? Jared, Hi, this is Mark. Uh, uh, failed next. And just went around the room and just like you, you and everyone like, you know, we just crumbled under the pressure. Um, yeah. But he made his point, right? So like, that was one example. Um, that was tough. Other managers have been rough on us. But like, at the end of the day, it was kind of that like tough love. You know what I mean? Like, I think, yeah. uh, I think they meant well. I think sometimes people don't always know how to motivate people. And sometimes it's like, I'm just going to go yell or be harsh and see if that moves people. And it does, like it does move some people. It's not the best. I don't co-sign it, but it does move people. Um, and Hey, years later, it showed me what I don't want to do as a leader, uh, is yell totally. at people. Totally. Um, tell me about the, the early days of gong. Were you the first rep or first in the first like basket of reps? I was in the first basket. I was rep number two. So, uh, okay. VP sales, Jameson joined, he hired, uh, or kept on Alex Vassin. I don't remember how that worked, but I was this, the first rep after that. So the second rep that they, that they hired. What were the early days like? Because it's not the product. I remember I saw the product in like, I don't know, 17 or 18. We did like a pilot and it's, it's so far, like it's so far ahead now, obviously oh, four yeah. years later, but was it, was it a slog early on? People being like, you're going to like record my calls. Are you serious? Yeah, it was rough, man. It was not what it is today. I think people see Gong today and they're like, oh, you sold Gong. Like, that can't be that hard. Yeah. Crazy talk. Crazy talk. It was Brian Tucker, who's the third rep. He's now leads our mid-market sales. Us three and Jameson in a small room in San Mateo. And we were just like, 
trying to figure this thing out. And it was a grind every single day because exactly that someone's like, all right, I've literally no idea what you do. Like never heard of you. You're, you know, mind you, we were 45 employees when I joined 12 in the United States. Our go-to-market team was 12 people. And so you're like, all right, I got this. You do your intro, your, you know, your 30 second, then your two minute version, you ask a couple of questions and you're like, oh, I've got pain. You start telling how you're going to solve that pain. And they're like, okay, well, like, how, how, how does this thing work? Like, okay, cool. Yeah. So, you know, we automatically, you know, record and transcribe and wait, hold on. You record our calls. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's, a, yeah. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about that. Let me get to the rest of this value prop though. You're going to love it at the end. And you could see people like their face, their body language is like, there's no way I'm going to bring this internally and say, you want me to record my 40 reps, my 50 reps, whatever it was. So it was tough. And we had to learn how to overcome that objection because if you couldn't get over that in the first call, you, you would never get a deal. What brought you there to, to gong? Like, was it that you wanted to just like get in early stage? Like, was it like you were a lucky son of a gun? Like you, you love the, like, like the idea of the vision, like what, what, what was the initial kind of sales pitch to get you in there? All of the above are probably true. Yeah. Um, it is a little serendipitous, which is a word I don't think I've ever actually said aloud. And it was a, a Gong Labs blog post. I was sitting at my desk at Eventbrite. I had tried to get into marketing. I tried to get enablement. Didn't, didn't work. There wasn't roles or some other stuff happened. And I'm like, all right, well, I know I'm not going to be here much longer. So I had this, like, you know, those blind recruiting calls where they're like yeah. series, a company hyper growth, yeah. all the things you want to hear in a bullet point. And I was like, I know this is probably bullshit, but what up? Like, sure. I'll take the meeting. That was later in the day at like 10, 11 AM, whatever it was, my director comes over to me and she's like, Hey, our VP found this article. Thought it was really cool. Why don't you read it and present it to the team? So I was like, okay. So I'm reading it and it's Chris Orlov at Gong Labs talking about data back sales tips. And like, I think it was the talk time article, if I remember correctly, like how much, you know, the ideal talk time. And I was like, blown away. I was like, this is one really well written. And two, no one's talking about this in sales. I've never seen anything like this. So that was really cool. Presented to the team kind of forgot about it, right? Then later in the day, I had that recruiter call. And so she's like, Hey, I got this company, you know, they you know they record sales conversations, they're in the data space they are really cool. I'm like, hold on, are you? Are you talking about Gong? She's like, yeah, yeah, that's the company. And I was like, sign me up. Like, I, I, I think this is maybe meant to happen. I don't know. Uh, so then I ended up taking the interviews, you know, going through the whole thing and getting the role. That's amazing. That's, you got to know that's more than just a serendipitous or, or whatever, you know, whatever. If you believe use. in fate, then yes. I, I think life unfolds exactly as it should to be honest. And like, I know now four years later, people are like, wow, like what a, what a great decision. You're so, you know, so smart for getting in. Like, to be fair, I took the first interview with Gong. I hit up their direct competitor for an interview, never heard back. And it worked out with Gong. And like, I'm really glad that that's the case. <laughs> Thank God. How long were you a rep before you started transitioning into the content game? Uh, two years. So I was two on years. two years where we didn't have segments. It was just like, you know, whatever inbound lead you could closing internet, you know, international deals. Cause like wherever leads came, we took them if we could mostly Israel. Cause that's where the co-founders are from. Um, and then one year on the mid market team, cause we broke, uh, we broke into segments. So there was a uh, Luciano who's not, who's still on the team now. Like, this is so cool. He was the SMB guy. He's now on the strat team. It's like four levels up. Um, BT went into enterprise and then Alex and I went into mid market and started building out that playbook and figuring it out. And you kind of had it in your mind, it sounded like from Eventbrite, like it sounded like you were looking to maybe other departments. So like maybe this was top of mind of like, okay, you know, Chris Orlop's creating some of this content. And, uh, you know, that I imagine that was probably on your mind, like, hey, if this guy ever wants to do something else, like I want to be in that role. Yeah. So, so background on the, the Eventbrite thing. So when I was working there as a rep, I just went over to marketing one day and was like, can I write for you guys for free? Like, just want to do it. And they're like, okay. So I wrote uh, demand gen blogs for my vertical. We were verticalized at the time. So let me publish a couple. And then, I don't know, it like, I don't know, six months later, someone on the marketing team left and the editor in chief came up to me and was like, hey, you did this writing for us. Why don't you interview for the role? I was like, oh, cool. Like decision maker coming to me. Like I might have, I might have like a layup here. So 
we all know we all know any story that starts with think i had a layup does not go toward <laughs> the, the bucket does it not gets go blocked. in it gets <laughs> blocked yeah like no easy baskets so i go through the interview process she's like prepping me like really like hands-on prepping me and i'm like this is awesome and then i take a they make you do like a personality test and i thought the personality test silence for like a week no no updates you know you know it's just like selling a deal man you know you got momentum got momentum all of a sudden it's quiet like something changed and i was getting nervous because i know time kills all deals and i was sitting at my desk like i don't know week week and a half later and i got a ping like hey from her hey can you come to this conference room so i was like okay 8 30 in the morning like i don't know good news like i don't know good news like at 8 30 in the morning didn't seem realistic so i go in the room and she's like hey we ended up going with an external candidate we didn't move on you and i was like cool. Like, I think I know why in my head it's like, cause I'm a sales guy and I probably have no, like, I have no experience. And she's like, no, it's cause like you on your personality test, you didn't, you, you've like failed curiosity. You weren't curious enough. And I was like, that's bullshit. <laughs> cause of course I was so defensive. I was so defensive. And then like, you know, when the sting went away, I was like, if I got that defensive, it might've, might've been true. I don't know. I don't know. But it put a chip on my shoulder a time to be honest. Like it was like, no way should I not get a role because of personality test. You know what I mean? Like fail me on yeah. the interview, fail me on the writing assignment or something. So yeah, then I tried to get into enablement. There just wasn't a role. Um, and uh, so yeah, and, and then to your point, like how did I kind of prime it for Gong? When I interviewed with Jameson, our VP, I told him, I was like, I don't know that I'm going to be a rep for you forever. Like I'm really into content. And what I had done is right when I got let, uh, let down at Eventbrite, I started the reader, which is my like consulting. So I just like, man, I don't know if I'm even good enough. I don't know if I'm like really want this or like, you know, so I set out for, I think it was like 2017 was the year I had like two goals. I was like, if I can go get clients and someone will pay me to write, then by definition, I'm a professional writer. And so I had to give myself that confidence boost. Like I have to believe mm -hmm. in myself, but like, that's the social proof I need, so to speak. The other was like, if I go be a sales rep, hit quota and do this work on top of it, then I'm dedicated. And like, I know I'm about it. You know what I mean? So yeah. I did that. And so I was doing that when I interviewed at Gong and I was like very upfront, like, this is a path I want to go down. And, and I did you it. had clients. You, yeah. You yeah. Them. Yeah. By the way. Yeah. I got clients. Like I got like four, I made, I don't know, three grand the first year. Right. It wasn't like yeah. about scaling to a hundred grand or anything. It was like, right. will someone give me money for this service? Totally. Um, so they, it, it worked. I did it again and again and again. And like, you know, it grew like, and again, I'm making my money as a sales rep. Like that's where my finances are coming from, but I just wanted to keep the momentum going. So to your point about like, you know, did I, what I did, did I like prime Orla to like, Hey, you about to leave? No, I was going to join his team. I had been talking to him about becoming like a content manager, uh, on his team. And so, uh, I'm skipping some, some side notes here, but like essentially what it came down to is like, Chris was like, okay, if you're ready to leave sales and you think you're actually ready to leave, you know, what you know behind, tell me, because I'm starting to interview, like I'm starting to interview people for this role. So I was like, all right, let's do it, man. Like it's now or never I'm going for it. Then we went and got our CMO's approval. He was like, yes, but you have to get your VP's approval. Like the sales people have to, you know, sales leader has to say it's good. Uh, and Jameson was awesome, man. He gave me approval immediately. He was like, I knew this moment would come. Like you told me when we interviewed, uh, you've been doing stuff with marketing. So like, I see that, you know, you're able to do your role and like, you know, keep your house in order as a quota carrying rep, you're leading, you know, reps and coaching and you're doing this like, cool, man, like, let's make it happen. So last last bit to this was that Orlob was supposed to be my boss. And like the last 30 ish days, he was like, actually, I want to move back into sales. <laughs> so he went from senior director of product marketing to now he leads your team, right? He leads your org, yeah. which is the, yeah. the post sales team or the customer sales team. Uh, and then I went from a mid market sales rep to content strategy manager, and then ended up building out the team. And now I, I lead the team of uh, four people. It's a wild story. It's crazy. It's like, it's still weird to me, honestly. Like none of people think like they look at that or hear them like, oh, like when they see it on LinkedIn, they think it was like this plotted strategic, like I was yeah. thinking this and I was priming. No, none of that. It was like heartbreak and 808s along the whole way. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that English degree coming in handy. Hey, Sac State English degree paid off, man. And I don't have college debt. I'm very proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> so you you had a, a great post today when you were talking about when you took over that role from Orlob and he, he gave you some advice, which is pretty much like generally like read every single day, write every single day. Um, 
I'd love to hear when you're doing that, like, and you're kind of like flexing those creative muscles, are you reading everything and writing about everything and like journaling and stuff? Or is it like, now I'm reading like the challenger sale and influence and like these sales types of philosophies. And like, I'm writing and honing my sales writing craft and like sticking in that niche. It's a really good question. And it's something that does get asked a lot. Cause I think everyone's always interested in like any, and, and I'm not putting myself in this bucket, by the way, but any great writer like Malcolm Gladwell, I took his master class, And the first thing I really wanted was like, but like, how do you write though? Like, but like, <laughs> like, how, like how do you do it? Um, and I've learned this, man, every single person of all the authors, anyone I talk to, including Chris Orlob, everyone does it a little differently. Like everyone has their own thing. So for me, the books that I read, like I'm usually very focused. Like I fall into these like rabbit holes of like, I'm going to learn how to be a great copywriter. So for like 18 months, all I do is pretty much in that realm. And then I realize I'm like, man, but I'm not reading these other cool things that I really enjoy. And I'm like almost stifling my creativity by being too pigeonholed. Mm -hmm. So the like short answer is I do in like read, uh, influence by Cialdini. I do read like how, uh, excuse me, like how marketing, uh, persuasion books and psychology and stuff like that. But what's also really important is reading the type of writing that I like, like my writing style. Like I write very approachable, conversational, $5, $10 words. Yeah. So I don't read like dense, um, you know, like academic papers and books. Like I get to page 20 and I'm like, I hate this. And life's too short to read books that I'm too dumb to understand. So like, let me move on <laughs> to other things. Yeah. And so, yeah, like I watch masterclass with Daniel Pink about sales and I've, uh, you know, uh, never split the difference with, um, Chris Voss. Um, but I also read like the Gita, which is like the spiritual book, uh, of Hinduism because I like yeah. you, there's great storytelling in that. Right. And so I try to try to get a lot of different influences in and then for writing, like I just, I found that reading kind of unlocks, like, I think it makes, it makes connections in your brain while you're kind of off. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I've never sat at my laptop and been like, all right, here we go. Best thing I've ever written. And then just like blank canvas and written something. It's usually like I have ideas or things I'm trying to solve. I read a book, maybe it's a word, like I've had word choice spark an idea for a title. I've had, you know, a story inspire me to write something of myself. So that's kind of how I do like the ideating with air quotes. And then the writing is kind of just like whatever that spark of an idea is. Like if I had like one piece of advice is like, if you get that spark of creativity or of like the aha moment, stop what you're doing and just ride that train until it's out of gas, even though I know trains don't have gas. Uh, and so, you know what I mean? And then like, once yeah. you're exhausted, like, okay, cool. Then you can go back into editing or just like put it away for a few weeks and come back to it whenever you feel like it. I love it. That's, that's great advice. Um, I'm, I'm curious we've entered this world and it's interesting because I love content. I love writing. I love podcasts. I love content too. And I remember uh, a, a marketer that will rename, remain nameless like a couple of years ago when I started my blog and, and podcast is like, salespeople should not create content. Like, do not do this. And, you know, in my head, I was just like kind of flipping them off. And now all day, like all day long on LinkedIn, you just see reps, BDRs, sales managers, sales consultants, like just crazy amounts of content seemingly out there. So um, I'd love to just get your take as a whole with like the bombardment of you know, personal brands out there. And like, how, like, do you think it's really important for reps to do that? Are we wasting our time? Uh, or like, do you think there is really like kind of a benefit if you do it the right way? Yeah. So there's two questions, right? One is like creating content and the other one is creating a brand. Yep. So, um, I didn't bring Harmon up earlier. I did not bring him up earlier to make a reference now, but he's actually the perfect example of this. So, when someone's like, why should I have a personal brand? So first of all, your personal brand is really just your digital brand is what they're talking about. Because your personal brand is if, I don't know, you know, you, Tom, you meet somebody who, you know, you're interviewing, right? And I'm connected to that person. They find that out. They call me and they go, hey, I just talked to Tom. What do you think of him? The words that come out of my mouth is your personal brand, mm. right? So that's like the word of mouth version which is yeah. like, who do you know? And like, do you have connections? Which is why I tell people, everyone you work with today at your company, like everyone could potentially make or break you getting a job at a later company. If you piss off that one junior sales specialist <laughs> and he or she becomes a director later and you try to be on their team, 
you might get the door slammed in your face because of that one interaction, right? So like, that's your reputation. So the digital brand is like, I think it's important, but I don't think it's um, necessary. And here's why. I have way more reach now. My personal brand, if I wasn't online, would be a lot smaller because, you know, you just don't come into contact with that many people. Word of mouth is limited. When you build a brand on LinkedIn, for example, hundreds of thousands of people get access to you, right? So they see what you're about. They can interact with you. So you have a larger uh, imprint, a bigger footprint. So if you think about it, it's like, well, what is your end goal at the end of the day? Harmon, he doesn't post on LinkedIn. Maybe he does like once a month, right? But he's never had an interview for a job. He's been a high performer. He has a network of people and people really like him. So when he's not even when he's ready to move long before he wants to make a switch, he's already got people like, Hey, I've just started this team in the East coast. If you're interested, I've got a role for you. Like that's what a personal brand does. It opens up doors before you reach for the handle. Mm. And so if you want to do it digitally, which is what I'm doing, great. It works for me too. I hope one day, whenever I decide to leave Gong, I don't have to really interview. I hope they're just know who I am interested and want to hire me. Or you can do it kind of like the air quoting old school route, which is just be a top performer, be a good person, be enjoyable to work with. And that'll open doors too. Yeah. That's, I think keeping the end game in mind is super important right? Like if you're selling to, if your content is anything geared towards the persona you're selling to, I think that's interesting. Um, right. Like if you're selling to a security person and you're posting your tips about sales, if you want to get into sales management or you want to connect with other like-minded salespeople, then there's your goal. But the security guy doesn't really give a shit about what you, (laughs) what you were saying about discovery, like your top five tips. So I, I guess to your point, it is all about, like where you want that end game to go and at least just being mindful of that. Or maybe you want to go like Justin Welsh route and like start creating courses and stuff with, with the knowledge that you have, which is a legit move as well. hundred percent. And that's like what content strategy is. It's being intentional with the content you create for the outcome that you're hoping to achieve. And so, yeah, if you're posting, if you want to sell to, uh, you know, technical decision makers, but you're writing about the day in the life of your sales role, your content strategy doesn't align with your end result. Cause like you said, they don't care. Have you thought about bringing your, cause you're, I mean, one of the top LinkedIn people in the B2B world. Like, are you, have, have you, have you considered diving into other social media platforms or are you like just tunnel vision? I would call it tunnel vision, but like with intention. So I know yeah. where I'm really good. I have a lot of momentum. And uh, there's from the uh, Matthew McConaughey book. Uh, I'm just a fan of Matthew McConaughey. A lot of so great accent, great accent. Uh, if you if you listen to this and you end up buying the book, listen to the book. Don't read it. He's a great orator. Um, but he had this concept of sprinting downhill, and he's like, don't trip yourself up when you're sprinting downhill. Which otherwise, when you just like things are going really well, don't make it hard on yourself. And so I do believe in like keeping my eyes on the horizon, like what's next and like starting to build, you know, once I have a vision, if I'm like, okay, I think Instagram is the next place to build and I have an intention, I have a reason, then I'll start laying the foundation before, you know, completely shifting over, Um, which is like kind of funny when the clubhouse like blew up for 40 minutes or whatever it was, (laughs) everyone's like, oh, should we be ditching LinkedIn and going to clubhouse? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Go for it. Like open up space for me on LinkedIn. I don't care. Like (laughs) if your brand, you know, if your, if your uh, goals align with what can, what clubhouse can produce, then great. Go, go hang out over there and build over there. Uh, First of all, that book is amazing. Uh, But yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, so good. It's amazing. It's amazing. And uh, the concept of, of not, you know, not, what is it? Uh, not tripping yourself running downhill or what was the word? I think that I, that's how I read it. Yeah, <laughs> like how yeah. I kind of like internalized it was like, if you're running or sprinting downhill, don't trip yourself up. I'm sure yeah. he had like some even more clever way of putting it, but that's just how I like internalized. I was like, okay, cool. When things are going well, don't fuck it up. Don't add resistance where there's none needed. Yeah. I think that's super true. I'm, I'm guilty of that all the time. Things are on a roll and then you get too cute. You get too fancy you try to, you know, whatever, you know, I feel like that happens a lot in sports, you know, like you're, yeah. I was a tennis player. And so, uh, you know, you're up, you're crushing someone. Then all of a sudden you're trying to do the, between the leg shots and whatnot, like you're not Federer, just keep doing your thing. You start doing pr- stuff you do in practice. 
yeah, right? You're exactly. like, I don't really have this move down, but like, you know, I've, I'll, I'll show out. And then you're like, yeah, momentum shifts real quick <laughs> too, yeah. too bad, too bad. I don't know. Tennis swings, hits, whatever you say, whatever you call yeah. it in tennis, it's uh, yeah. you know, it can, can throw you off your game. So, um, let, let's talk about professionalism for a minute. Uh, that's one of the posts that you wrote however long ago that, that really resonated with me, um, talking about, you know, essentially being yourself is more important than being super professional. And, um, I'd love if I'm misquoting you, let me know, but like, I see you, like you've got the, the sleeve tats, uh, you've got like the Bruce Lee, uh, you know, rainbow in the background, you got the flamingo with the shoes. Like, you know, I, when I look at you over there, it's like, oh, he's, he's just like himself, you know, and you've, you're kind of owning up to that. Not that you're not professional. You're not like wearing, you know, like a shirt with like the F word on it or something like that, like that you're, you're being disrespectful, but you're yourself and professional at the same time. And I'd love to just hear you talk a little bit about that from a sales lens of how people should be approaching that or in your opinion. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. So, uh, there's two things I remember back in my, I say back in my clear slide days, because those were like the first days where, you know, I, I knew nothing and I was, you know, in the big leagues, right? Which was B2B, B2B. Yeah. And so uh, one, I didn't know how to dress and we had to wear, like, I, I mean, yeah, I have, I have sweat shorts on right now. It's like 90 degrees outside. Like that's what <laughs> I wore to work. Um, but like when it came to like the, the corporate setting, I didn't know like the styles of button downs. Do I wear a tie? I don't know how to tie a tie. Like, all these things. And all I had was tuxedo shoes, like these super patent leather, <laughs> shiny ass shoes. That's all I had and all I could afford. Cause I like, went to some wedding three years ago. And so I remember I wore those shoes, man, every single day for like three months. And I got razzed for it too. People like Devin, like you can dress down a little bit. I'm like, you don't understand. I don't know how. Um, <laughs> and so I remember just like really wanting to fit into what I thought the, was expected of me. Right. It was like, blue, you know, the blue button down tucked in with your slacks and that whole thing, which is nothing wrong with that, by the way, that's just the, you know, the expectations yeah. or what I thought. So that was kind of like the entire piece. And then when I was struggling my first couple of months as a sales rep, um, you know, I had all the activity in the world. I was putting in the dials, putting in the email touches and, uh, my director, phenomenal dude, he pulled me aside and he was like, Hey, like, I just noticed like you you seem to be doing the right things, but like, nothing's working. So like, let's sit down and talk about it. And he's like, pull up your laptop and show me like the last few emails you sent, like to cold, uh, to prospect. And I was like, you, you would think I would be uh, intimidated. Like, oh, here we go. I was like, man, I'm so bad. Something like, I can't get worse. Like, let's figure this thing out. <laughs> yeah. And he read them and he looks up at me from the laptop and he's like, did you go to law school? It's like, no, I, I, no, I went to school to be an English major. It's like, oh, that's why, man, you're writing like a goddamn lawyer. No one's going to respond to this. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you probably know MLA, don't you? And I'm like, very well. He's like, dude, stop all that. Like, get rid of it all. And what he was telling me was like, you know, don't be so stiff. Like, be who you are. Because, you know, we all hung out. We went to happy hour. He knew who I was and what I was about. And he liked me. He's like, you need to bring that version of you to these emails. Be someone that they want to talk to. And so that was kind of like the first um like really like, oh, wow, like I have kind of permission, but you know, it still took me a long time. It took me years to like, feel like I earned it. Cause then you want to be a, you know, you want to like be a top performer before you kind of let loose a little bit, you want to earn it. And so that was kind of like the early setting the groundwork for it. Now into the post you're talking about, it's a little different. It's not professionalism that I have a problem with. It's, it's being corporate. So there's a difference between being corporate and being professional. And it was awesome because people lit me up in, in that post because they're like, oh, you, you know, you millennial, you think, you know, you know, you're not being professional. I'm like, no, I said, don't be corporate. Don't bring the false sense of who you are, like the professional polish, right? Of you think you, who you have to be in this corporate setting. People want the authentic you. And by that, they just mean the real you right? Like I cursed on this podcast because it's like, you're my boy, Tom. And like, I think you gave me the green light to curse a couple of times. Uh, <laughs> but like when I run the gong podcast, I don't curse, right? Like, cause that's right. a different context, but I'm still who I am. I'm still like myself. And so, yeah, I kind of clicked a couple of years ago when, uh, you know, I was at gong, it was actually day one and I had long sleeves on cause I didn't want anyone to know I had tattoos. Cause I try to hide that as long as possible. Um, just from judgment and it doesn't, you know, it didn't bother me, but I was like, Hey, like, you never know. And uh, it was day one and Jameson, our VP was like, Hey, we're going to, we take a picture of all the new hires with this t-shirt on. It's like a golf polo yeah. and uh, a mug. 
And I was like, damn it, I got to put this thing on. And like, everyone's going to see my tattoos. And like, man, I just started this job, man. What if they, what if they don't like it? Like, I don't know. So I just went for it. I just went to the bathroom. I changed. I came out, just like looked up. You know what Jameson said? Dude, those are cool tattoos. What do they mean? <laughs> Iran, our CEO was like, oh, that's cool. Walked right by. Couldn't care less. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, it's not that serious. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, no one's going to like fire me for this. And then ever since then, I was like, man, I'm just going to be exactly who I am. I'm going to have fun with it because that's who people want to interact with. People who are themselves, people who, uh, you know, know who they are and just have fun with it. Dude, I was, I got to tell you, I was the same way coming out of school, uh, had like the oversized button down, the, the pleated khaki yes. pants. Yes. <laughs> the like Kevin Garnett getting uh like getting drafted in the NBA. You, you've seen those old videos where they're just yeah. wearing like six XL pants and, and shirts. Yeah, yeah I, I remember uh and that flew in Boston where our, our headquarters was. And when I moved to San Francisco, we had our first like company party, and like the head, uh like not the head, but the best rep, he's a little older. He was like, dude, you gotta take those fucking pleated khakis off immediately. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you get coached and sometimes you get shamed, but they both work. You know what I mean? Yeah. The shame, the yeah. shame never leaves. Like you'll never forget that story, dude. Years later, you'll never forget it. Totally, totally. And would you um like I I I definitely feel what you're saying. Like, would you change it if you're a rep, let's say, and you you're in your day-to-day and you're doing your thing? Um, let's say you have like a meeting with someone that you feel is like, man, this is like, you know, the CEO of whatever company, like your biggest account, big meeting. Like, do you, do you change it at all? Um, or are you still like, this is me. And like, I'm going to wear, you know, if I wear hats, I'm going to wear a hat. If I have my Bruce Lee in the background, like I'm going to keep that like all, all the same, or do you kind of tweak depending on, I don't know who, who's on the other side of the camera uh, in this world. Yeah, I'd be lying to say if I'm the exact same version of myself in all scenarios. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like right now I'm being very casual. This is, you know, exactly who I am. But, you know, outside this door when I'm dad, you know, I'm a different version of me when I'm dad, you know, and I'm a different version when I'm on a webinar for Gong. Um, and when meeting a CEO, it's still the core of who I am, though, shines through and people should still be like, you know, they get a vibe. Like this isn't just some vanilla guy. He's not trying too hard. Like, I know who Devin is, but he's being professional. And being professional is just being, uh, you know, respectful. It's about being presentable. And to me, it's like, hey, should I wear a hat? Which is actually funny. This is get asked all the time since that post. Like, should I, can I wear a hat on calls? <laughs> like, one is like kind of mirror your buyer, right? Like, if you're selling to a Fortune 500 CEO, like, I'd probably lose the hat because he, he or she probably isn't expecting that, and probably like, you know what I mean? You still want to fit within like, I don't want to say expectations, but like. It never hurts to mirror people. Yep. Um, so I would say like, you know, kind of mirror them in, to a degree. That said, I don't know that I would ever like think less of somebody because they wore a hat on a sales call. You know what I mean? Like, I just, yeah. I don't believe in that. I don't think anyone like, is that unrealistic? And now more than ever, especially we're working from home, you're getting the real version. Like you're getting the like living room version of Devin in his yeah, office yeah. talking to you on sales calls. You know what I mean? Like how many people, you know, used to put on a blazer to go to work? pretty common. Now, when you see a blazer and someone's in their living room, you're like, kind of weird. Cause like, I doubt you were a blazer when the webcam's off, you know what I mean? So it's kind of yeah. like, I don't know. I just, I just believe in being exactly who you are. As long as it's professional, if you want to wear an FU shirt, wear it on the weekends. Um, <laughs> but like, no, too, at work, you are representing the people cutting your check. True. And that's really important too. It's like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the, the gong guy sometimes, but I'm Devin Reed all the time. Yeah. Totally. Um, all right, we got a couple quick hitters for you, and then I'll let you jump. Is that cool? Let's do it. Okay. Um, so mentioned uh, a bunch of books. What's one book you would recommend to any young seller that they have to read? It could be any topic. Not as it's not a sales book. Um, I would say, well, kind of, but the the Chris Voss book is the best quote unquote sales book I've ever read. Um, so I would say definitely read that, and then. Um, Influenced by Cialdini is phenomenal because it helps you understand how and why people make decisions. And if you understand those levers and those factors, then you can use them in your talk tracks, your sales approach to be more effective. Favorite uh, podcast other than Millennial Sales or Reveal? Dude, 
you, I, I, if I, what is my favorite podcast? You know, this answer <laughs> armchair expert, Arm, man, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a big fan. I love Dax and Monica. They're fantastic. Uh, your favorite takeaway from a gong labs post or favorite. Um, I don't know what my all time favorite is. And also I penned a bunch of them. So it'd be super arrogant of me to be like, my own work is my favorite. So <laughs> I'm going to pick one that Chris wrote. Cause he started the series. Um, it was the don't use ROI on sales calls, tell before and after stories instead. Mm. What's bumping in your Spotify playlist right now? Oh, um, well, J Cole's album drops in two days and he just dropped the song interlude as like a precursor. So I've been putting that on repeat. I love it. That's all I got for you on the, uh, on the speed round you passed. Sweet. You make it on to the next round. <laughs> <laughs> the finals. Um, yeah. <laughs> I got to play you in a, I got to play you in a tennis match now to, to get this published. I have to yeah. score once. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it, man. Um, honestly, I, I appreciate you coming on, uh, sharing your time, sharing your wisdom with everyone. Um, one, I guess one last thing, like, you know, any, anything that's going on on the horizon for you coming up, like that you're trying to, to do a little promo for anything like that, webinars, anything like that? Uh, some stuff in the works, but if I said it now, it's not going to be ready in time. So no, just uh, follow me on LinkedIn. If you liked anything I said, or if you hated anything I said, also follow me on LinkedIn. Cause then you'll have great <laughs> stuff to hate on. So, <laughs> and like, and comment and subscribe to reveal podcast. Yes. Five stars. Five stars only. I appreciate you, man. Thank you for coming on. Of course, man. Thanks, Tom. All right. Thank you, everyone, so much for checking out that podcast, uh, especially if you're in the middle of cleaning the dishes, mowing the lawn, uh, you know, taking a nap, whatever it is that you're doing, multitasking while you're listening to this. I appreciate you. Again, shout out to Gong. Shout out to Postal. Uh, it's the last month of the quarter. Let's get after it, people. And please... Uh, hit me up on social media. I'm Tommy Tahoe everywhere. Uh, Tom Alamo on LinkedIn and uh, review this podcast. Subscribe, uh, show some love. Peace.